0: We shall There's a little song within our breasts, With words of hope and love The melody blends as we join hands With faith in God above Dr. Martin Luther King Now tells us of this song
1: So here goes Chapter 9, Jim Crow.
2: Hello, folks. Once again, this is Eminem, and uh, I'm going to talk to you on another subject that I experienced myself in life. It's the uh, Jim Crow era. First of all, I want to give you a brief history of how this name came about and how it got attached to African Americans. All right, first of all, Jim Crow was a theater character by Thomas D. Rice. The character was based on a folk named Jim Crow that had been popular among the black slaves for years. The character was dressed in rags and wore a batted hat and torn shoes. Rice, which was why he blackened his face and hands using burnt cork and impersonated a very nimble and witty African American film hand. The Jim character portrayed by uh, Rice perceived African-Americans as lazy, untrustworthy, dumb, and unworthy of integration. Rice portrayed Jim Crow principally as, you know, a, a dim-witted buffoon building and heightening, contemporary, negative stereotypes of African-Americans.
3: Advertise for
1: Suit. You have no idea what you do. Well, we're about to start Chapter 9. It's called Jim Crow of Chronicles. Are you able to uh, perform your duties today?
3: I could extrapolate a little
1: bit. Well, thank you for participating. So, Eminem is going to lead the Chapter 9 on Jim Crow. Say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. What's, what's
2: happening, yeah. Sue? I uh, talk to the guys and I express your viewpoint, okay? Uh, never, mind, never mind about
1: that magic. What, what, what time of the date was that today that I called? What time? It was about quarter of 11.
3: Yeah, I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: okay, you're fine. <laughs> Are you saying you've sobered up already?
3: Oh, no, I'm just getting started, Eddie. Okay. I feel bad for people that don't drink because when they wake up in the morning, that's as good as they're going to feel
1: all day long. That's correct.
2: So that's how the name Jim Crow got attached to these so-called, you know, black laws that basically got started in 1865 after the Civil War during the Reconstruction period Um. The Jim Crow laws were state and local laws that were enforced. Racial segregation in the southern United States. And you know something else? A lot of people thought it was just the southern. No, up north, Jim Crow law was also enforced up there in some of the areas and you know, where it had white only, black only. So it just wasn't the southern states. Some of the northern states also you know, had the Jim Crow laws. All were enacted in the late 1900s and 20th centuries by white Democrats that dominate the state legislature at the Reconstruction periods. And these laws were in force until 1965. So we're looking at a 100-year period that a lot of people have no idea about. Roots of the Jim Crow laws began as early 1865, immediately following the ratification of the 13th Amendment, freeing 4 million slaves. Okay, black codes were strict laws detailing when, how freed slaves could work, how much for compensation. The codes appeared throughout the South as a legal way to put black citizens at an indenture of certitude, taking away voting rights away, to control them where they live, how they travel, and to seize control for labor purposes. Basically putting minorities back into slavery. Exactly. Yeah yeah that's that's what it was because you know they figured back then they needed to figure out a way how to control the african-americans and so basically the Jim Crow laws was their way and all the legal system was stacked against black citizens naturally with ex-confederate soldiers working as police and judges making it difficult for American African Americans to win court cases Now, back in that area, the most ruthless organization of the Jim Crow area is the Ku Klux Klan, which was formed in 1865 in Pulaski, Tennessee. It was first a private club for Confederate veterans. It started out as an organization helping the Confederate veterans, until this one gentleman come in, decided that we need to change the landscape of this, and that's what he did. He changed the landscape of it to where it would intimidate, you know, blacks and to keep them in line. Okay, here's some important dates. Eric's from Tennessee. Yeah, I know. I think anyway, he, he's racist. I think he knows where Pulaski is. Do no, I know? do not. No, okay, I, he right. would never admit it on an open mic. <laughs> In 1948, Harry S. Truman ordered integration in the military. Now, you got to remember, folks, back during World War II, you had black soldiers here, you had white soldiers here, and that's how the Red Tails, the pilots, came about. They were in Italy, stationed over there, had their own base and everything, and away, because basically back then they said, even though he was a black pilot... That he could not give a white person orders. So there again, they have their own base, their own uh, people that order them around. And also, I mean, this—I mean, this is something else. What, what are you
4: doing, Sue? With your phone there? Are you eating
3: it? I'm listening. I'm okay. getting a history
4: lesson. Okay. Oh, you're getting a history lesson. Okay. All right. 1950.
2: I
3: don't, I don't want to eat no rum.
2: Go ahead. i
3: have not to say.
2: Okay, all right. Well, maybe you will after I get done because I'm going to be done here okay. soon. Well, put your phone on mute then. Okay. All right. In 1954, the su- Supreme Court ruled in Brown versus Board of Education that, the, that educational segregation was unconstitutional. This is 1954. It wasn't until 1964 that President Lyndon Bain Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act which legally ended discrimination and segregation that has been institutionalized by the Jim Crow laws. Now, this is 1964. It took the Voting Rights Act and the Fair Housing Act, all these other acts, who were 1965 that most states were supposed to under that, which most states didn't. They enact their own act, just for instance, George Wallace in Alabama standing at the door the college to prevent black kids from going there. It took the National Guard getting him out of the way in order for stuff like that to happen.
1: I remember that. Yes.
2: I mean, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, I grew up back then. I remember movie theaters. You had one door that said white only, you had another door that said colored only. The white only went downstairs, colored only went upstairs
4: it's the same for churches too
2: same for churches you know you didn't go to a white church you went to a black church okay
4: Seger- or if it was segregated the blacks would sit on the top balcony and the whites would have the first floor separate well, in and, georgia in georgia oh, Well, see
2: yeah. every every state kind of did it a little but north carolina no especially southern baptist you didn't if go to-
4: in the same building It was segregated.
2: Right. Uh They had segregated waiting rooms, water fountains, restrooms, building entrance, elevators, cemeteries, amusement park. And even at the amusement park, the cashier windows, it would have white only color on even at the cashier windows at the amusement park.
4: And you remember seeing that growing up?
2: Yes. Like I said, I remember the small town I'd go to, you know, the water fountains color only, white only, the movie theater, same thing. I remember all that, and mom always said, you know, when you're out, I said, be careful. I said, why, mom? She said, because there are people out there that will take advantage of you, and a lot of times you may go missing, and then they might ever find you. And I always took that a grain of salt, and always remembered that when I did have to go out, because we lived out in the country, and we had to walk long distance to go to the store and you know, do things because you know we were so far away you know from people
4: do you ever look back on your childhood and go oh i was in a bad position being that you took it for a grain of salt can you look back and go oh that might have been a position that i probably shouldn't have been in
2: well not. mom always told us growing up she said it's like this you always going to have good people and have bad people but you always got to put your faith and trust in God. And if you do that, you're going to be all right. And that's what I did. Because she said, if you don't, it puts you further behind in things. And I wanted to move forth in things and not stay you know, where I couldn't move forward. And a lot of people still to this day wonder, well, why did Martin Luther King make so much fuss. Well, Martin Luther King made fuss because he was trying to wake up black America to say, look, you are better than this. You need to get out, do things, raise, uh, rise above this, and that's the only way. There's a little song that we sing
4: in
0: our movement down in the South. I don't know if you've heard it, but it has become the theme song, We Shall Overcome. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe. We shall overcome. No, oh, I've joined hands so often with students and others behind jail bars singing it. We shall overcome. Sometimes we've had tears in our eyes when we joined together to sing it, but we still decided to sing it. We shall overcome. No, oh, before this victory's won, some will have to get thrown in jail some more, but we shall overcome. Don't worry about us. Before the victor's won, some of us will lose jobs, but we shall overcome. Before the victory is won, even some will have to face physical death. But if physical death is the price that some must pay, to free their children from a permanent psychological death, then nothing shall be more redemptive. We shall overcome.
2: Rosa Parks, she sat up front. They arrested her, fingerprinted her, mugshot her. But there was people even before her making these movements, you know, and stuff. And, you know, like anything else, I grew up basically saying, people are people. White or black, it doesn't matter. Everybody's got good in them, all some way somehow. And I always looked at that, and I never looked at things black and white. I guess that's the reason why I got through life the way i did i mean even high school first to eighth grade i went to all black school 1969 north carolina i'll never forget it they started integration i was a experiment in 1969 me and about 75 of my black friends went to an all-white high school about 800 white kids I said, I'm going in with an open mind. I'm going for education. If they're going to try to stop me, they're going to have to stop me because I'm not going to back down. And I went in there with that open mind. Yeah, I, I had to, I had to get in a few people's faces because they thought that they were going to try to break me. And I finished top 10 in my class, went to college, paid my own way through college because I wasn't gonna let it happen. Mm-hmm.
4: And that's the front line, you're on the front line. Yeah. 1969. I there's was civil on, rights, really. Yeah, I was on the front line. The right line. to education. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I, I look back at all of this and I said, oh my gosh, you come a lot because there's no way my family could pay for me going to college, but my guidance counselor saw I had potential and that she was going to make sure that my potential wasn't going to get wasted. So I was able to go to college on grant, scholarship, and work-study programs. And all that, Western Carolina University is my alumni. And I, I'm i thankful for her for that because you know she saw that I had the potential. But even back, like I said, back then just so many people had potential, they didn't, get the opportunity that I did because people didn't reach out to them like I was reached out to and to help you know to get through this but I'm telling you what it was it was a hard era it was a hard era to grow up in because trying to find a job summer job I mean you know they say well no help but luckily we live where places where people say hey you know your kids need money you know you know, we lived out, you know, where this guy on his property, we would help it on his property where, you know, we could, you know, make money. But it was hard to find a job during the summer back in the 60s. Being
4: an African-American, I'm telling you, it was hard. What about you, Eric, growing up in Tennessee during that time, same time frame, right?
1: No, he's uh-huh. six years oh, older than me. Uh-huh.
4: By the time Eric, his, Eric, things helped. Seriously,
2: a lot had kind of melded out because by then Martin Luther King a lot of things were in place and like I said 65 well the Jim Crow era the Jim Crow era was kind of phasing out but still places like Alabama Mississippi even Louisiana they were still holding on to those Jim Crow laws. and if you travel through those as a matter of fact They made a uh, pamphlet. I think it's called something like African-Americans Traveling Guide to where when African-Americans would travel, say it would tell you what to expect and whatnot. I mean, seriously, they put out a pamphlet. That is no
4: lie. That's how how hard it was back then. I had a neighbor that grew up in Orlando and he said even into the nineteen eighties, black people that lived in Orange County in Orlando didn't really go past Cimarron. And Bifflo was out of the question.
2: Bifflo, when I moved here in nineteen eighty nine, Ocoee, Ocoee was
4: out of the question.
2: Out of the question. I still went there. Lockhart. Okay. At, oh my god, Lockhart, that was another stronghold for the Klan. Biffle, you're right, Biffle, yeah. St. Cloud. Into the 80s. Yes. Well into the 80s. Well in the 80s. I moved here in 1980. Maybe early 90s. It did, was. didn't go out Yeah. I moved here in 18, 1989, April 3rd of 1989. Yeah, so I know, and people were telling me, and then they finally decided that they got to clean this up. So they got rid of all those trailer parks. They started putting affordable housing in out there, and that's what changed Okoy. Oh, cool. I, I remember that. Ooh. I was here when all that was going on. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So it nope I mean, from North Carolina to Florida, still nineteen eighties, I'm still dealing, you know, with the Jim Crow crowd. It's
4: still in your mind. Well, it, it, it well in that time it was still in your mind as, okay, let before I go somewhere, let me reassure myself that's someplace I can go.
2: Well, I don't, I, a lot of times, you know, situations situation like that, I knew, I said, well, unless I had business there, don't go make waves. If I didn't have business there, but see, like, Eric and I, we'd go out to court and all, because what's the restaurant we used to go to out there and eat? He used to take me to out there in Ocola. Oh, Gators? It Maybe, I'm not sure, because, It was right know,
1: there at Good Holmes Road? Yeah. Yeah, it was Gators, I, Dockside.
2: Yeah. And I'll well, Eric used to take me to you know, a lot of places and, you know, we'd go, you know, hang out and stuff. And he kind of gave me an education on, you know, a lot of the places, plus to a lot of the people that I met kind of told me, said, you know, just, you know, be careful. And I'm not the type of person to kind of make ways, but again, too, if I had business there, I I won't won't go there. I mean, that's just the, the way I was. I mean, you know, and even living here in Orlando. I don't like the hard part, it, but it was hard times. It, it it made me tougher. It made me appreciate things a lot more in life, and not worry about small things. I guess that's the reason why I got so many friends, because so many people would come up to me and say, "You know something? You don't act like a black." And I look at him going, "Say, well, you don't talk this jive that." I say, "Well, because I." had teachers that taught us stuff. And I said, you know, I said, I I am who I am, you know, and I'm not
4: gonna change, you know,
2: for nobody, but. Well, your
4: family's to credit for it, too. Yeah, my mom. Even your mom,
2: yeah. Well, yeah, my mom, because like I said, you know, she always, uh, you know, you know, believed and look, it's just like this, you know, you're gonna have to deal with things in life. And she always said, God will never give you more than you can handle. And it's part of growing up in life, you've got to deal with adversity. And it's how you deal with that adversity makes you the person that you are. Before the victory is
0: won, some would be misunderstood and called bad names and dismissed as rabble-rousers and agitators. But we shall overcome. And I'll tell you why. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long. But it bends toward justice. We shall overcome because Carlisle is right. No lie can live forever. We shall overcome because William Cullen Bryant is right. Truth crushed to earth will rise again. We shall overcome because James Russell Lowell is right. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow keeping watch above his own We shall overcome because the Bible is right. You shall reap what you sow. We shall overcome Deep in my heart. I do believe we shall
4: overcome
1: So that's true, huh? Yeah Yeah, Yeah. uh, I've met his mother. She's a wonderful woman and he is the image of her Hmm. Without a doubt, and I've met several of his siblings, and they are all—they're all very much like their mother.
4: Yeah.
1: You know, if you have a quality upbringing, you—that shines. You know, I've always—I've always said, yeah. if you're really a Christian, it shines in the things you do and you say. say. Right. Okay. Not you talking about it, but in who you are and how you act. Right. Exactly. And th- that is what it's all about.
2: Yeah. That's correct, but. I'm I'm hoping this podcast open eyes to people because you know, so many people have no clue what it's like and like I'm not the type of person to you know, to harm all stuff like that, but I did this because I've lived this. I've been in it. I know what it was about. So I, I enjoy podcasts like that because I hope I give an insight to people because I've lived this, I've been in it. It ain't something victorious or whatever. It's, it's the real deal, people. I'm hoping, you know, that uh, yeah, it's, it's it, people would reach out to people you know, more and more. But we live in a society now that it's about me, 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 and ain't no you, 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 or, you know, like There's that. a lack
4: of communication, too. Oh, Valuable my God. communication. Ex- exactly. There's a lot of talking going on. Yes, but it's not really viable communication.
1: Viable. Yeah, it's not accomplishing anything.
2: No, nothing. No, but you know, like I said, the, the gym I I researched this for a couple of days, and I tell you what, it was really interesting finding out some of these facts because stuff like this, growing up, you, you don't see in the history books. I never saw anything or anything about know correct, you know, when I was in high elementary, high school, or even college, when I took history, nothing, none of this. But I mean, even back then, oh my God, marriages—you better don't even think that back then, if me being white and well, oh my God, that's that, that was like a, was death, a death sentence. That was a it was a death sentence, and all and, and they,
4: it, it was for many people.
2: Yeah. It was mm-hmm. exactly so. You know, I mean, it was strictly, strictly forbidding. You know, in the in the Southern states, but uh, you know, the Democrat held Southern states. <laughs> I do you hear that? Did you hear that, Eddie? I heard something about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> what, what, what you said about the Democrats? <laughs> the Democrats was the cause of the Jim Crow laws.
3: outside of football. And at a great time in the 70s and the 80s. In 1980, I was 14. And as uh, you may or may not know, I'm a great fan of Frank Sinatra. Right. And on Fridays and Sundays, they would play four hours of Sinatra Friday with Frank and Sunday with Sinatra. The guy by the name of Sid Mark, who's still around. He's about 180 years old now. Uh, still doing it. So I learned a lot about Sinatra and what he did uh, in the early days of Las Vegas to help break the segregation barrier for anybody who lost right. the building right right just sang with Lena Horne obviously he loved Matthew Cole mm-hmm. they wrote Mona Lisa for Sinatra he gave it to Matt right because he loved Matt and when Lena Horne would leave Vegas this is in the mid-50s at the Flamingo who was at the time Fuzzy Siegel was gone but he started a little bit with Berger's they would burn her pillowcases. Her children swam in the pool one day, the Flamingo. After they left, they drained the water. When oh. Sammy came to town, Sinatra was staying all the nice joints. They made Sammy stay in a cardboard box right. off the city highway. Same way would met. Well, when all of this started to filter back to Sinatra, he was upset. He goes, these are my friends not a matter of race. And by the way, change it or not. An and he had enough clout to do with that. And so I was raised on that knowledge. There was no room to Right. Uh, you got information from the radio. I was 13, 14 years old. Uh, I watched a lot of Don Cornelius. I mean, I was Soldier. not going to watch Dick Clark from American American Bandstand. He was a white. Yeah. Philadelphia's music was so eclectic. You could hear Bobby Darin and Sal You could hear Sinatra and Dean Martin. One station, another station had Archie Bell and the Drells. You had one Van the Sam Cooke, Jackson Wilson. So I was raised. I was blessed that you didn't judge you didn't race. What? It didn't happen all the time like that. I was lucky. And there's still racism today. Oh yeah. Like, I, it just is what it is.
2: Yeah. Eddie, it'll never go away simple fact when it's passed down from generation to generation it's just something that there you gotta do the best to deal with and it's like me, you you gotta turn another cheek and like they said sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me and I've always tried to live that motto because if you let words bother you, you're gonna be going around trying to knock heads and it's just you're not going to get anywhere
3: yeah I mean I've I've experienced myself I mean years ago I asked I said I'm white I'm heterosexual I'm privileged
2: so who was that late in Congress what's that what's that coalition you know what I got back I got crickets I got nothing right well I mean I'm I'm glad that you know People like us, you know, we can you know sit around and talk about this because, you know, Craig he you yeah, know a lot younger and he hadn't really experienced this. Eric, you know, you me. So I mean, I, I enjoy topics like this because we've kind of touched base on these, especially this topic like this. We've kind of lived in it and around it and we kind of know something about it. So it ain't something where we're making up or fabricating. It's it's, it's the real deal.
3: Everything you're saying is right. I know I've told this story before about Dr. Lovesto Tubbs, VP at UCF. When I got here in 84, I was 19, and Dr. Tubbs was in his late 40s, early 50s, so he was old. of and I would just sit there fascinated by his stories of what you just said about the was water fountains for whites and water fountains for colors, and the, and, and your, and the water fountain
2: for the African-Americans. Yeah. And Dr. Tubbs looked into it one day and went to take a drink from the
3: white fountain because he was clean. His mother said, boy, don't you do that. Yeah. That ain't for you, it's for white book.
2: Right. And he didn't do it. And when he got to college,
3: I know I told this story, it was from football, and he was in a shower, and everybody else was white. and he kept coming around the back. End. all the white guys said, where'd you boy? I said, Dr. Tubbs. Now, remember, I'm like, i and never, ever had a discussion like this with anyone. I said, what, what did you do? Because I couldn't do anything. He said, we're well, numbers. He said, but as the years went on, he became a doctor. He got his PhD. And he rose
2: to great lengths in the university system. And he said, that was my revenge. Right. <laughs> there you go there you go smart man no, that, smart man no, a lovely lovely person yeah you uh, know well that's great I, I appreciate you chiming in it, it, it's a conversation this podcast here is a conversation very few people know about and I'm hoping we can reach out to people and make them a little more aware why there's so much hostility and people say well get over it and get behind it yeah it's easy to say and done I mean I can do things like that a lot of people can't because it's just it is what it is, and I've learned to rise above, you know, stuff like this. And I'm glad. I'm glad I have because if not, y- you've got a lot of hurt and a lot of dislike, you know, you know, dealing, you know, with people. And, I mean, even, I mean, it's just, you know, sad, you know, reading some of this stuff. It's like I was telling my wife the other day, last year, there was uh, now this happened at, out at Disney, there was uh, this couple from uh, Georgia, I don't know what part, they were down at Disney, they were at the swimming pool and there was this black lady and her kids come up, she was actually the doctor in town, and uh, they started looking out. her strange when her and the kids you know, got in the pool and then she basically said to, well, we're using this pool, um, won't you come back later and you can use the pool? And the lady said, well, we're in here now, uh, we can going use the pool. And this is no lie. The lady told her kids, "Go pee in the pool with them in the pool." Wow! This happened out at Disney, and wow. so, while this was going on, people—luckily, there was people there. They were uh, taping and filming this, and then they went to the management and showed the management. And for you know what, they had them to pack their bags. The white couple told them they'll go back to georgia we don't want you here no more and they were raised in hell then they come the they they apologized to the the black lady which is a doctor and her kids i mean so this happened last year in orlando so yeah it's still there it'll never go away people just there's just so much hate there's a lot of hate still there well thank you for chiming in eddie because we're on the downside of closing this out because The Voice is coming up next, and he's got a good subject that he wants to talk about. And in closing, people, I appreciate you listening, and um, hopefully hopefully we all learned something today, and uh, thank you for listening to me.
1: Well, folks, that's the end of Chapter 9, Jim Crow, and thank everyone for listening, and have a great day.
0: See you. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. We shall overcome because the Bible is right. You shall reap what you sow. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. And with this faith, we will go out and adjourn the councils of despair and bring new light into the dark chambers of pessimism. And we will be able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. And this will be a great America. We will be the participants in making it so. And so as I leave you this evening, I say, walk together, children. Don't you get weary. There's a great chapter meeting in the corner.